adoption journey may seem overwhelming at first, but More to Love, an adoption podcast, is here to provide you with resources, experiences, interviews, advice, and tools to help guide you on your path to adoption. Hosted by a board-certified adoption attorney, this podcast shares the raw and real truths, the struggles and the triumphs, and the real-life family experiences that prove there is always more to love. Let's welcome our adoption expert and podcast host, Nicole Moore. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening today. I'm your host, Nicole Moore, and today we're digging deep and talking about trauma, primal wounds, feelings, thoughts, spirituality, and the human experience. While this podcast does relate to adoption, this is one that goes beyond the adoption triad and affects us all. Are you curious? Our guest today will discuss how curiosity got him to see the world through a different lens. So without further ado, please help me welcome adult adoptee and host of Thriving Adoptees podcast, Simon Ben. Uh, thank you. Uh, honored to be here, Nicole. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I spoke to dear friend and adult adoptee last year, and it was our highest rated podcast for 2021. So that tells me that our audience is very interested in hearing from adult adoptees. And so thank you for coming on and speaking. Of course, anything that you say today is going to sound lovely because of your accent. The curiosity of adoptive parents is always refreshing and very heartwarming for me. I've done some work with non-adoptive parents, if, <laughs> if there is such a group, you know. I know people self-identify as different things, but they don't seem to have the curiosity of adoptive parents. And I'm, I'm a, at 55, right? I'm trying to avoid becoming a grumpy old man. Tell me more about that. How, how is curiosity going to help you? Well, I think this may happen in the US or it may just be a UK phenomenon. I don't know. So they've all curiosity has gone. I'd, I'd rather be mind fluid um, than mind set. That makes so much sense. And if you study the brain, it's like the messages that are going through your brain waves, if they are repeated for years and years and years, it becomes the automatic response. And it's hard to change those beliefs and those responses unless you actively try to change them with new understanding or information or education or belief. And so I'm with you, Simon. I am always learning. I'm always growing. And I am very curious today to hear more about you. So I love to do my podcast kind of in chronological order because that's how my brain works best. Tell us about where and when you were born. Okay. So I was born in a hospital in Wrexham, which is, so, you know, we've got England and we've got Scotland, Ireland, Northern Ireland and Wales, right? So Wrexham is in the north of, uh, north of Wales. It's just over the border from, uh, into England, from Liverpool. And so she adopted me from, uh, they picked me up from an adoption council in Liverpool. The first probably 12 years of my life, I thought I was born in Liverpool, which was quite cool because they have a good football team. And obviously they have the Beatles. I'm not a particularly Beatles fan, but I was a Liverpool fan. And um, everybody's heard of, of Liverpool, right? So uh, wherever you are in the world, you've heard of the Beatles. And I was five weeks old. 
Um, my mum and dad took me home to probably 80 miles away. Was your mom and dad looking to adopt because they didn't have children or because they couldn't have children? Yeah, it was in infertility, yeah. Okay. Were you the first child? I was, yeah. Um, they'd, done, uh, they'd done a lot of foster. They'd done a lot of short-term foster parenting. And then they, they put themselves on the adoption register. And when they were approved or whatever, they stopped fostering at that point so that they could adopt if they got approved or whatever, if the a baby became available. And they adopted me. And then a couple of years later, they adopted a, a little girl from a different biological parent, uh, who's my little sister. And she, yeah, so she's two years younger than me. She lives in Switzerland now. So. Wonderful. So I know that you talk about a lot in your own podcasts and your advocacy for adoptees when and how parents tell their children about adoption. So can you talk a little bit about what that looked like in your home? Okay. So I was told that I was adopted before I can remember, right? So I've got a, a, an idea, a fairly strong idea that I was told with the aid of a storybook. So, and that's a really great way in my opinion, it's a really great way to do it because it normalizes it, right? So the storybook was the story of a, a couple that fell in love, got married, and you know, like tried to complete the family and then completed their family by adoption. So that's how I was told. And that, that storybook was in my childhood bookcase forever. Your parents had this insight. You said 55? I'm 55. Yeah. Wow. So your parents had this insight 55 years ago that is still being kind of talked about and discussed today. In fact, our previous podcast, we heard from an adoptive mom who couldn't find any good children's books like that. And so she wrote her own because all of the therapists and adoption counselors were saying that's a great way to introduce adoption to your children. So I love that your parents had the, the intuition 55 years ago to know that that was the recommended way, and it seems like that worked well for you. Who likes surprises, right? Exactly. So we all want to feel that we're that we're kind of like other people. So normalizing things is is big, in my opinion. So let me ask you a question because I know that a lot of parents and even outside society tend to focus on the beauty of adoption and the gift of adoption. And in an effort to make the child feel normal, they're almost what happens is they feel there's a push to feel special. You know, you're special, you're special, you're special. And so I'm wondering, do you did you want to feel special because you were adopted or did you want to feel normal and not special? I can tell you my experience, which they, my mum and dad told me that I was special. Did I feel special-ish? Um, did I feel that I was kind of some sort of superhero? No. Did I feel like I was some kind of reject? No. Was I securely attached to my parents? I believe that's the jargon. Yes, ultimately, yes, that's the biggest thing. I've got a very specific example that I often talk about on this, which for me is my evidence, right? So I, I can't remember. It, this is a long time ago. But I do remember my sister saying, do you ever think about finding your real mum and dad? And I said, mum and dad are our real mum and dads. So 
I was maybe eight, maybe 10, maybe 12. I don't know. And did that feeling of having no interest in knowing about your biological parents, did that continue as you grew older? Yes, yes. And was it the same for your sister? I'm not sure. I'm not sure we didn't talk about it. Uh, I'm guessing because she asked me the question, then it was on her mind, but it wasn't on my mind. But we never talked about it after then. And I guess... Did you ever ask your mom and dad about your birth story or if they met your biological parents or anything about them? No, no. There's a difference between kind of feeling and believing, right? So I believed, my feelings feelings change, or, you know, feelings change all the time, but beliefs are, are, pretty, are pretty set in their ways and, until they change, right? I believe my mom and dad were my mom and dad. That was it. End of. So you mentioned your podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. So, yeah, I started guesting on podcasts in November 2011. And I'd had an insight. You know, you talked about insights and intuition. I'd had an insight and intuition to come into the adoption world in November 2020 on the back of a conversation with them, a mentor. And the first thing I thought about doing was guesting on podcasts. And so I, I really enjoyed it. I love the curiosity. We've talked about the curiosity adopted, but I love I loved that. I love talking about it. And I love sharing my perspective on adoption because I think that the dominant narratives are, are of either rainbows and unicorns or the primal wound are both fundamentally wrong. So my podcast is about a third way of looking at adoption and a direct challenge to the trauma obsession that seems to be rife in the adoption world. Yes. Okay, so let's dive into that. So, you know, you had mentioned kind of two, probably they're on both both extreme ends. Everything is happy in rainbows and sprinkles to the very, very worst wounds and trauma and darkness. And so obviously there's the truth lies there in between, right? I wouldn't say it was a spectrum thing. How would you describe it? I would say that it's more like a, probably more like a triangle. So if you looked at a triangle, you'd have at one level of, one level on the left-hand corner of the triangle, you've got the rainbows and sprinkles on the right hand corner of the triangle you've got the primal wound and at the top of the triangle you've got the kind of what i like to sum up as fundamentally unwoundable so tell us a little bit more about that and how you've come to that conclusion about adoptees okay so it, it is quite a challenging kind of notion it's quite new and the primal wound is a theory right it's a theory. Correct. And I saw a quote from the uh, head of a children's hospital in, in New York or Boston. So I can't remember the chap's name. He said, there's no scientific evidence of the primal wound. There's clinical evidence, but there's a difference between scientific evidence and clinical evidence. That statement from a professor has clearly got lost because it's, it's a little bit tricky to, for our impatient brains to. Primal wound is, is often mentioned in the same sentence as PTSD. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question here. What percentage of people that who are exposed to traumatic stress events 
do you think get PTSD? A percentage. You can give me a range. I would say a small percentage. And the reason that I would say that is because I think that we all experience some sort of trauma in our life. And I think children especially are have a kind of a great resiliency. So I would I would say a small percentage. It is a small percentage. It's 10 to 20% get PTSD. That means 80 to 90% don't. But that isn't commonly known. Most people you ask that question to, and I have asked that question to a lot of people, will say 80 to 90% get PTSD. So basically, I know what I'm talking about is what you're saying. You know what you're talking about. And, and you're running countercultural. <laughs> you're running countercultural. We have a catastrophizing society. We do. You know, World War Three has started, according to something I saw this morning, right? And we're in Ukraine. It, it isn't World War Three, but we have, a, we have a catastrophizing society. And somebody said to me the other week, uh, well, of course, Nancy Berry had to kind of uh, have this dramatic headline because dramatic headlines sell my books. And I thought, well, yeah, that's kind of marketing 101. So for me, I have felt wounded by adoption. I have felt, but we aren't our feelings. I have thought that I've adopted, that I, am, I have thought that I've been primarily wounded. I'm a very uh, susceptible and sensitive kind of guy. I was brought up really honest. So I tend to believe things, right? And I know you're a, a lawyer, so, you know, like, lawyers don't have that same kind of thing. They're more questioning, right? That's right. I usually just don't believe it until someone proves it to me. So you prove it to you, yeah. So I didn't feel primarily wounded until I read The Primal Wound. So the mind is a meaning-making machine. And and what the thinker thinks, the prover proves. And so believing the primal wound, our, our minds are looking for generalizations and simplifications, and they're looking to pin the tail on the donkey, right? What happens is that we, I pinned the tail on the adoption donkey. I pinned, I pinned my insecurity, in my insecurities, on the on the adoption donkey. And because I read the primal wound and I, and I thought, this explains everything. You know, I was I was asking my sister, telling my sister to read the book. I was asking my coach to read the book. She both of them read the book. I asked my a friend of mine who's adopted to read the book. She didn't want to read it. She because she's too kind of maybe she was too too scared. And she wasn't ready. She wasn't ready to do that. You know, we, we I'm sorry that, uh, that was, I did a disservice. She wasn't ready to do that. She wasn't curious like me. I'm curious. Uh, I use this uh, analogy quite a lot. But um, apparently, your Marines. They run to the gunfire, so they take pride in being the the, the toughest, the butchest um, of your of Americans' fighting forces. Everybody else runs away from the gunfire. Marines run to the gunfire. When I see an opportunity to to grow, I run towards the gunfire. That's a good good way to describe it. Here's the thing: I didn't believe I was primarily wounded until I read the primal wound. I I swallowed it, hook, line, and sinker. We say. I was susceptible, as I say, I was brought up honest. And that took me down. It didn't take me very didn't take me down very far down the trauma rabbit hole because I'd done a lot of work on myself before. But I could see, luckily, I turned around and I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. So I stopped going down the trauma hole and I looked back and I climbed back out and I climbed back out of the hole. And and that's what the podcast is 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 all about. I get this not as some kind of abstract theoretical concept, but in my bones, right? So most of us think that we get things in our heads. Well, most of us, you know, know that we should make some lifestyle changes, right? We get it intellectually that we should make some lifestyle changes to be healthier or a better parent or a, a better son or a better wife, a better husband, right? I, you know, we get it intellectually, but we don't get it 
in our bones. If we got when we get things in our bones, like you mentioned the word insight and intuition. When we get a big insight, we get a deep intuition, we do things differently. When we see things differently, we do things differently. I swallowed the primal wound. And then I realized that we are fundamentally unwoundable because we're not our feelings. We're not our thoughts. We're, we're the experiencer of those, of those thoughts and feelings. So uh, the metaphor that one of my mentors uses here is, um, is the, the fact that, and it's, it's, from, it's from the East. So it's spiritual rather than psychological you know the east of the world he talks about the fact that we're the sky and and the and the the, the trauma our feelings and our thoughts and our and, and, and which is what trauma is after it's happened it only lives on as a, as a thought or a feeling that's the cloud that obscures the the beauty of the sky that's behind us and that sky is unwoundable the the sky isn't damaged by the cloud it's veiled by the cloud is hidden. Oh, I like that metaphor too. I like, I'm a visual thinker. So I like that. How old were you when you read the primal one? Probably 48, 49. And so you went your whole life kind of not grappling or feeling wounded. So something came up for me when I was about 40. So I found out that my teddy bear, when I was 40, I found out that was from my birth mother. And my First thought about that was one of curiosity. We talked about curiosity a lot. And I was curious. A couple of months later, I had an explosion of anger, like a volcano went off. Conversation I was having with somebody. And, and a load of horrible stuff came out of my mouth about my birth mother. And I'd never, I'd never thought about my birth mother. I'd ne- and I'd never harbored any negative feelings or animosity or anger or anything towards me. But um, it came out with kind of resentment and anger. And it was like a volcano going off. And it was my birth mother didn't loved me enough to keep me she gave me this consolation prize was but there was lots of swearing which this is a family show so i wouldn't do it um and uh, kind of around that time within about a year of that business had been the main source of stress in my life trying to make the family business a, a success and it took me an awful long time to get to wherever i thought was going to be a success and, and, and when i finally got there it, it was like a hollow victory so in my oversimplifying brain where my brain went was well a business success hasn't made me happy and and adoptions made me sad in, in massive over, oversimplification terms and that kicked off my personal learning journey and so that kicked off either a midlife crisis or a personal learning journey. What's running our minds is that, um, you know, the conditioning, the programming, the negative voice in our heads that we've picked up. And, and that's that's deciding 99.9% of what we... And, and those were the sorts of things that I started to learn looking back 15 years ago. And, those, and that is, uh, to this day, that's my curiosity. I've, I've had 15 years of insights into that area. So do you think when you look back at the anger response, you said that you weren't feeling angry or cognitively thinking um, negative thoughts about your birth mother, but do you think that those were sort of stored in your unconscious and that they hadn't been expressed previously, hence the kind of volcanic explosion? Not really, no. You know, the, the mind never knows. Right. We, we live in this world where we're obsessed with the mind and we think that 
but it, it's not running the show, right? The mind isn't running the show. We've got an obsession with mind. We've got an obsession with thoughts and feelings. And for me, you know, we're talking here about, we're talking about little mind rather than big mind. You know, the, the intelligence of the universe or the tiny bit of intelligence that's in our heads. And I believe that it, the intelligence of the universe is driving the whole thing, not not, not what goes in, in, in my head anyway. Um, and we're, especially for people like myself, self-help and positive thinking. And, you know, I've been through all kind of all that sort of stuff. My search has taken me to a more practical spirituality, non-religious spirituality, believe in the universe. I don't believe in, I'm not into that manifesting and secrets and the secret and all that. That doesn't uh, ring true for me but uh, we all kind of find our own way but there's there's no such thing as a second hand epiphany right so i'm sharing all these insights which mean a lot to me but there's no such thing as second hand epiphany we have to have our own insights the reason i have the podcast is well 99 of the podcast episodes aren't me they're me interviewing a, a somebody that knows that stuff that's been through the stuff because i know that i don't know have all the answers right so i'm trying to I'm always trying to, like you're doing, right? I'm trying to catalyze. I'm trying to bring people's insights to the fore in the hope and the knowledge that hearing other people's insight might light a spark an insight in somebody else. It might catalyze somebody. The lights might come on for somebody. And and this fundamental thing that we're fundamental and wounded, that comes from a, like a spiritual place. So if we move into a more spiritual thing, uh, which for me is more important. Everybody's trying to change behavior. We've got to go upstream of behavior to the feelings that cause it. And then we've got to go upstream of, of the feelings to the thoughts that cause the feeling. And then we've got to go upstream of the of the thoughts to the identity because most of the stuff here is a case it's a case of mistaken identity. We identify with our story, we identify with our thoughts, we identify with our feelings, and we are none of those things. And, and what we are is unwoundable. It's not damaged by the thoughts that we've had. And when you say we are unwoundable, are you meaning adoptees or are you meaning everybody? I mean the human race. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And the human experience is very loud. It's full of drama. It's full of conflict. It's loud. It's noisy. It gets our attention. It stops us scrolling on Facebook. It, you know, it hits us between the eyes and we're obsessed with it as, as humans. But it's not who we are with the spiritual being having that human experience. And my life has been a cakewalk. But how I know we're all unwoundable is on the basis of what I read about Holocaust survivors, on the what I read, what I hear about PTSD only affecting 80 to 90%. So there's something in that, you know, you talked about the innate resilience of kids. Yeah, resilience is innate. Everybody's sold the idea that resilience is something to strengthen. But I, I believe that resilience is innate because we bounce back because of who we are, that unwoundable human spirit. And I think perhaps making it a, a little less theoretical and more far more specific, my first mentor in this area, like 15 years ago, she wanted to be adopted because she was abused by her father. She was sexually abused and abused in every other way possible by her father. She came through that. So if if she can come through that, then in my opinion, anybody can come through anything because of their innate because of their the innate resilience and the innate unwoundability of who we truly are, that spiritual being. 
So is that the essence of your kind of mission statement is to help people understand that? Yeah, they have to see it for themselves, right? So, but we have to meet people where they're at. So my ideas, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of people on the podcast, and I've talked to a lot of other people in the adoption space, and my ideas are pretty way out. Most of my work is done through, you know, doing, doing webinars organized by adoption agencies for adopted parents. That's that's the mainstay of, of what I do, with them. And, I'm, and I'm building that. This stuff is far too way out for most people. You've got to meet people where they're at, and I've learned that the hard way because I've gone in talking about this sort of stuff. Before I was active in the adoption space, I spent seven, six, seven years working with elementary school kids, helping them become less angry, happier, have to higher self-esteem, and immunizing them against bullying. So they rise above. They realize it's the bully that's got the problem, not them. So that penny drops. That's really back to the triangle, the spectrum versus the triangle. What we're talking about here, there's a reason that I put fundamentally unwoundable at the top of the triangle. And the reason I did that is because we're talking here at a, from a, you know, like um, a higher vantage point, a higher perspective. We are seeing the wood for the trees. So, you know, at the end of one of the, the uh, at the end of Charlie and the chocolate factory, uh, Charlie goes up into the great uh, elevator. And that's kind of like, that, that's a metaphor for um, a higher place, better understanding, more detached, a more holistic view of the world. And that's what fundamentally unwoundable is. So thank you for giving asking me about that spectrum because I hadn't figured it there. I've got a little metaphor there. Yeah, so I have a little metaphor to drop. So that we're looking down, we're looking down. We're at a higher level of consciousness. I remember once going on holiday and I was really struggling at work. And um, I remember sitting down at this late, uh, an afternoon flight to Greece. And I remember sitting down at this, one of our little favorite, Taverna. And I felt that the worries of the world, um, mainly business, I felt them leaving my shoulder. I felt lighter. So many adoptive parents have got, you know, they've got, I don't know how they do it, right? Because they've got all the logistics, they've got all the adoption stuff to bring around. Uh, the worries of the world on their shoulders. And it weighs us down. We feel burdened. A higher level of consciousness is a lighter mood and a more, just a nicer way of being in the world. Sure. And I will tell you that even non-adoptive parents and parents that have their child biologically also feel the same weight of the world on their shoulders. So this podcast is, I feel, covering things that is not only applicable to adoption, because what you're talking about can be applied really any anybody. Totally. I've done all my learning in this area away from the world of adoption. So uh, what I've what I've learned is nobody thinks they're good enough, right? But everybody's got a, a, a really good reason that they're not good enough. So talking about myself, right? I'm, I've not achieved what my dad achieved in business. And therefore, I'm not. Uh, I know parents, talk to a lot of parents, they're not good enough parents. Or they're not even good enough son, they're not good enough daughter, they've got a brother or sister. We're not, you know, good enough because we're the wrong body shape, or because we whatever. We've we've all got a reason that we're not good enough. But uh, adoptees have got a really good reason to believe. We've got, you know, we've got what you as a lawyer might call incontrovertible evidence. The evidence is thus, right? The evidence is us. Because we were given away, we were relinquished, we weren't good enough. So we've got a really good belief. Is, is 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 really sticky we can hold on to that how dare you tell me that i am good enough how dare you t- you tell me that i'm a superstar how dare you t- you know no because i in myself 
I'm an adoptee. I'm going to tell you, I'm not good enough. Da, da, da. So we've all got a peg on which, or more than one peg, on which we can hang the not good enough badge. And that seems to be part of the human condition. Adoptees do not have the monopoly on low self-worth. Jim Carrey talks about this. He says, uh, and it's a great line, he says something like, uh, I wish everybody could become rich and famous and then they'd realise that it's not what it's all cracked up to be. See this in Hollywood, right? So look at Heath Ledger, all, all these guys. Look at what they do is they spend years and years and years obsessing about being a star. So they wait tables. They're waiting for the big break. The big break happens. They get the Oscar. Da, 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 da. They're supposed to be happy. And it's a hollow victory, right? And then they realise that the happiness was never there. So my own little story is kind of like a mini version of that. So for the adoptive parents or adult adoptees even listening today, you mentioned meeting where they're at and maybe giving your speeches or webinars and sometimes it might go over their head. So in a very simplistic term for those listeners today, what is the one kind of thought that you want to leave them with? Stay curious. So uh, clearly I'm an adoptee. I'm not an adoptive parent, right? So most of the people who are going to be listening to the show are going to be adoptive parents. I don't have that lived experience as adoptive parents. So I don't know what it's like. I've got a feeling. I've spoken to a lot of them. But I was on a podcast. I was guesting last week. There was a lady called Holly Ann Petrie that was on my podcast. She's, a, she's an adoptive mom. And she came up with a topic for the, for the podcast. And she's called it Unpacking Our Own Baggage as Adoptive Parents. And for me, because she's an adoptive parent, she's got, they've got like eight or nine kids. So she's got all that lived experience as a mum and, and she, she works in adoption. And that's what she came up with. Out of all the adoptive mums that I've interviewed, for me, that was the bit that is, that, that, that was the, the clearest and the most, precise place to start because I know in my relationship it always starts with us so I've got far more influence over myself than I've got over my, than my wife right so if I tell my wife to change you can imagine that she's going to tell me where to go right I'm not going to do that so it starts with us do our own work that's that's what I would start so stay curious check out that podcast it's called thriving adoptee I listen to podcasts I listen to audiobooks like two hours a day when I'm walking the dog when I'm in the car I am still curious so I have a, one final question for you, Simon. We discussed about how outside influences, if we let them in or we read the book or we listen to the TV or we go on social media, how those can kind of penetrate and alter our thoughts. What do you think the mainstream thinks about adoption? Because you mentioned to me that the two, what I suggested was ends of the spectrum, like everything is easy rainbows to very, very serious trauma. Do you think that the overall public interpretation of adoption in 2022, is that of a positive one or a negative? I feel that generally our media and our social media is uh, catastrophizing and negative. I feel that people who, who have had poor adoption experiences kind of group together and trauma dump each other as we all do we all look for you know birds of a feather flock together so that's kind of like some some cliches are cliches because they're true i see potential adoptive parents joining these groups adult adoptees who've had bad experiences if you've had a negative experience then you 
probably gonna you're gonna have a negative perspective on it and that's just the way that kind of we're wired as human beings so i see adopted parents going into those groups and then and actually commenting saying i you guys are really struggling. I don't think I'm going to adopt anymore. I urge caution. You're going to get a uh, different view depending on where you go. I, I want to focus on me, on my influence, or, you know, what I can do. And other people's opinion of me is none of my business. So what uh, I see a lot of adoptees getting very upset about what other people think of adoptees. And I see mentors exploring that with them. and. And it's very disempowering because if we're waiting for the world to change its opinion on anything, we're going to be waiting an awful long time. And we're, ultimately, we're going to be disappointed, you know. So there's one that there's one particular that, you know, it, that I can see again and again is that um, people get very upset because they, they're upset that people think they should be grateful about it. Is that in the context of... Your mother couldn't care for you, so you should be grateful that these people came and rescued you? The whole thing, I mean, really disempowering. It's really, really disempowering. Your message and kind of audience, although I do think anyone can learn from the principles that we've kind of gone over, but if you're a prospective adoptive parent or a current adoptive parent or an adoptee that just is very, very worried about the positive or negative effects of adoption, if they listened to your podcast or spent more time with you, would it be accurate to say that they could learn more about the indestructibility of humans, whether they're adoptive adoptive children or not? I, I would say that we should be trauma-informed and hope-obsessed. That's my... Trauma-informed and hope-obsessed. I like when I say that I believe that we're fundamentally unwoundable. I believe that 110. percent That's that's what I see, mm -hmm. and and there's this belief that by studying the darkness, we're going to find the light. We we need to understand more. That's true. Well, I think that this is really fascinating and something that we don't think about on an everyday basis. I think that you have given light and insight, and just things to think about for all of our listeners. And I really thank you for, for sharing that. And I really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me on, Carl. It's been an absolute delight and a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of More to Love, an adoption podcast. And speaking of love, there is always more to go around. So if you or someone you know is going through the adoption journey, please, please, please share our podcast. Help us spread the word by liking us on Facebook at Jeannie Tate PA, connecting with us on LinkedIn, or following us on Twitter. As a reminder, this podcast is not intended to, nor does it, create the attorney-client privilege between myself, guests, contributors, and or any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. So thanks again for joining us. We cannot wait for you to join us next time on More to Love.